Morning, church. Good to see you. Good to have you with us. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're here. We'd like to say welcome home. I hope it feels like home to you. We welcome those who are joining us live stream today as well. I'm especially glad that you're here today because it is God's will for you to be here today. It is God's will. Just think about it. What are the odds of all the churches you could have been at today? There's hundreds of them right here in Vero Beach. Of all the sermons that are being preached right now, you are here for this one. I mean, I know you have important things to decide in your life. You just happen to be here when I am preaching a sermon on finding the will of God for your life. I mean, wow, I have chills. If you had not been here today, you might have actually missed God's will for your life and spent several years in misery outside of the will of God. Now, everything I just said is baloney, of course. I have no idea whether or not it is God's will for you to be here this morning, but it might be a good idea. Most of us have things, important decisions that we want to make, and if we're Christians, we want to make sure that those are according to the will of God. And sometimes indecision in that area can lead to procrastination. Now, in the book, After the Baby Boomers, How 20 and 30-somethings are shaping the future of American religion, that's the name of the book, Robert Wolf now describes 21 to 45-year-olds as tinkerers. Our grandparents built, our parents boomed, that's the builder and boomer generation, now we tinker. Tinkering is not all bad, but tinkering can mean indecision, contradiction, and instability. Young adulthood keeps getting longer and longer. Consider this one statistic. In 1960, it's over 50 years ago, in 1960, 77% of women and 65% of men had completed all the major transitions into adulthood by age 30. What are those transitions? They include leaving home, finishing school, becoming financially independent, getting married, and having a child. By the year 2000, that was 1960, by the year 2000, only 46% of women down from 77 and 31% of men down from 65% had completed these transitions by age 30. Adultolescence is the new normal. Ever heard that term? Combination between adulthood and adolescence. Adultolescence is the new normal. Now we hear of people coming of age figuring out who they are at age 40. But I know this is not going to be an age thing when we're talking about the will of God today because really there's people who are 60 years and older still trying to figure out who they are. And there may be many legitimate reasons for uh, being 30, 35, 40 years old, still living at home, don't have a job, haven't gotten married and all that. Sure, there's many legitimate reasons for that. Doesn't mean you're a moocher. Could mean that, not necessarily. But this author suggests there, there are a couple of trends that are playing in to that societal factor. One is we have unprecedented freedom and opportunity now. This generation, unprecedented freedom and opportunity to live anywhere we want to live, have any major, any education we want to have. They have this career path, have that career path. Get married to that person, that person, or maybe stay single. Unprecedented opportunity is wonderful and freedom. But it also can lead to confusion and procrastination. And then you couple that, for, especially for Christians, with this whole idea of trying to discern the will of God. Does God have uh, the one picked out for me to marry? And if so, 
uh, is this the one? Am I going to marry the right person? If I wind up marrying the, per- the wrong person that God did not pick out for me, then there's going to be all these years and we're mismatched and we've got problems. Is there a certain career path that God has called to me to? Does God want me to live here as opposed to there? Does God want me to retire at 65 or at 77? What am I to do? How do I discern the will of God? So you put that on top. You layer that on top of the freedom and opportunity that we have. And again, we have people that are just stepping back and almost afraid to make a decision and a commitment. So this is where we want to go in this sermon series. During this month, we're going to be talking about discerning the will of God. Just do something, a liberating approach to discerning the will of God. Now, for today, we sort of want to lay a foundation. Part of the confusion comes with a failure to understand how we use that term, the will of God. We talk about being in the will of God, being outside the will of God, discerning the will of God, doing the will of God. What do we mean by the will of God? All right, well, we, we can talk about that in at least three different ways. And that's, that's what we're going to do this morning, look at three different aspects of God's will they all start with P. If you got a bulletin, we got the blanks there, and you're one of those people that likes to anticipate and fill out the blanks, it's, we're alliteration today. They all start with P. So let's start off with this category of God's will called that which God performs. That which God performs. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? So now in this category right here, These are things that God determines He wants to happen. And He makes them happen, independent of anyone else. Doesn't need anybody else. It's like with the president's executive orders. He has a pen. He has a phone. He doesn't need Congress or anyone else. He issues the executive orders and He makes them happen. Unlike, however, the president, there's not going to be some future president with God's executive orders. There's not going to be some future God who comes along and overturns those executive orders and institutes his own executive orders. God decides it and then he executes it and he makes it happen and nobody can keep it from happening. Now, let's just look at uh, three or four examples under this category, starting with creation. All right, creation. God decided to create. Did God ask your permission, by the way? Did he ask any of your permission to create? Me neither. In uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, the elders who cast down their crowns in that Revelation vision, they say to God, You created all things, and because of your will, and we're going to see that in every one of these examples, God's will, because of your will, they existed and were created. When God says, let it be, it's going to be. Let there be light, there's going to be light. Let there be expanse, it's going to be an expanse. Let it be, let it be. Well, God's going to let it be, and it's going to happen. Now, so that's the original creation. In that creation, God created angels and human beings, as you know, and we have free will. We used our free will, unfortunately, to sin, and therefore a curse came upon all of God's creation. And so God said, I'm going to do a recreation. And laying the foundation for the new creation was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the foundation for the new heavens and the new earth. And we are new creatures in Christ. It's our foundation as well. So God determined that he would redeem, buy back, redeem all of his creation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the second thing that God performed. When the early Christians were praying in the midst of persecution, uh, part of their prayer in Acts 4.28 was, uh, speaking of those who crucified Jesus, the Romans, says they did 
God, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So this is talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what God decided would happen. Now, that's not, it doesn't mean he caused Judas to betray Jesus or the Romans to crucify Jesus. In his foreknowledge, he knew about those things, and he worked them into his plan. So, but anyway, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the foundation for redemption, is something God performed and caused to happen. Now, here's a third example. When a person responds to the gospel, they believe, repent, confess, are baptized into Christ, then God has decided at that moment in time he's going to perform the new birth on that person. It's called being born again. God's going to make that happen. That's something only God can do. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John writes, As many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of the will of God. When you responded to the gospel, God caused you to be born again. Whether you felt any different or not, God made it happen. He determined that it would happen, and there's nothing that can prevent that from happening. Now, here's a fourth example. Looking to the future, God has decided all those who are Christians, he is going to, in the future, resurrect us with glorified bodies. And nothing can prevent that from happening. John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So this, again, this is God's will, and that's going to happen for each one of us who are Christians here today. Isn't it great to know that the, really the most important things in our life rest upon that which God performs? He's decided, and nothing can keep that from happening. We're in a political season, as you know. We're going through political debates right now, and you may have heard in these debates promises are often made, right? There's an old story about a congressman who was crossing the street, got hit by a truck, tragically died, found himself standing before Peter at the pearly gates. And Peter said, you know, congressman, we don't get many politicians up here. We're not really sure what to do with you guys. So here's how we're going to handle this. And we want you to spend a day in heaven and a day in hell, and having done that, you can decide where you want to go for eternity. The congressman said, no need to do that. I already know I want to go to heaven. Peter said, sorry, I have my orders. So they got on the elevator, rode down, 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 and the doors opened onto hell. Now there, you might not have expected this, but when the doors opened, there were golf courses. The weather was beautiful. The congressman saw a lot of his buddies. They, they were grinning and having a great time. They come on, let's play a round of golf. They ate caviar, drank champagne, danced late into the night, and before you know it, 24 hours had gone by. Time to get back on the elevator. Up, up, up to heaven. The doors open on heaven. Pretty much what you expect. There's clouds, and he met some nice people, and they were plucking their harps and singing holy, holy, holy. And they had a nice time, and 24 hours goes by. So here comes Peter again. All right, what's it going to be? You got to choose, heaven or hell. Congressman says, Peter, I, I never would have thought this before, but having spent one day in both, I got to tell you, I think I may be a better fit in hell than in heaven. Peter said, okay. So he gets back on the elevator, down, down, down. Elevator doors open onto hell. Only now. It's fire and brimstone. There's smoke. There's garbage raining down constantly from the skies. There's his friends. They all have a sack of garbage, and they're, they're filling it up. They got smoke coming off their clothes. They're miserable. Satan comes over with a big grin on his face. Welcome to hell. He says, what's going on here, devil? I was here yesterday. Everybody was having a great time. It was beautiful. We're playing golf. It was caviar. We were dancing. What did the devil say? Yesterday, we were campaigning. <laughs> Today, you voted. 
Now, politicians are not known for keeping their promises. Your guy may be an exception. That's fine. I understand. But they're just not known for keeping their promises. And we're used to, you know, we just get used to in life being lied to or being betrayed, promises not kept. But this is, here's the thing. And, and this is, it's ancillary in a way, but one of the most important things this morning, understand. There may be areas of our lives, all of us, where we have obstacles and challenges and things may be falling apart in certain areas of our lives. But the most important areas are this. There's something here rather than nothing. God created. Jesus died and rose again, laying the foundation for redemption of the creation. When we responded to the gospel, we were born again. That means we were forgiven, and God gave us his Holy Spirit to help us live a Christian life. And we have a future hope of resurrected, glorified bodies for eternity in heaven. All of that rests on the will of God, which he performs, and nothing can keep it from happening. Jesus was speaking of those disciples that belonged to him, and he said this, I don't have this slide, but he said this in John 10, 28, no one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. Okay, so there's category number one, that which God performs. Category number two, speaking of the will of God this morning, that which God permits. That which God permits. Now the things, not everything falls into the category of what God performs. We can't say everything that happens is something God caused to happen. There are things that happen in this world that God simply permits and allows to happen. Some of them may be in his preferred will. Some of them he'd rather not happen, but they are, he permits them to happen. And again, let's look very quickly at four examples. Number one, we live and work. We live and work by the permissive will of God. James 4.13, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, or the construction there, just the same as if the Lord permits or allows, we will live and also do this, this or that. Our travel itinerary. Sometimes we pray for people, safe travel or Godspeed. Our travel itinerary, in a sense, is by the permissive will of God. 1 Corinthians 16, 7, Paul writes to the Corinthians, I do not wish to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. Our failures and our sins, those obviously are not things that God causes to happen, but he does allow and permit them to happen. Acts 14, 16, for instance. In generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. The context there is sinful ways. God permits or allows that to happen. A fourth, and the fourth category, a fourth example, the suffering that we experience. The suffering that we experience is that which God allows or permits. 1 Peter 4.19, now many versions, New International, for instance, you may, some of you may have, it reads here, if you suffer according to the will of God, then continue to trust him. If you suffer according to the will of God. I like this version right here. This is the WWE version. <clears throat> no, that's not World Wrestling Entertainment version. That is, the worldwide English translation has it as follows. If a, and I think they get the right, the gist of it. If God allows you to suffer, if God permits suffering to come into your life, trust him. This is how you respond. 
you continue to trust God. So, we just had some, some mass shootings, again, this weekend, right? And some, some people in, in some communities might say, well, it's all according to the plan of God or all according to the will of God. I think the only way you can say that is in this very general sense that everything that happens is by the permission of God. It's not something he necessarily wanted to happen, but if he didn't prevent it from happening, then it is by the permissive will of God. But in this category are definitely things that happen that God did not want to happen. It wasn't his desire that they happen. Well, if God is all-powerful and he could have prevented it from happening, why didn't he do that? Now, this is sort of ancillary to the whole theme of the month as far as discerning the will of God, but I think it bears mentioning here because all of us have suffering in our lives. All of us do. Why does God permit that? Why does God allow that? You know, you've, you know, it's tied to human free will. Because we have free will, there must be consequences to our free will choices. And sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves, don't we? Sometimes, not always. But some of our wounds are self-inflicted wounds. There was a right thing to do and a wrong thing. We did the wrong thing and there are consequences and they come into our life. Sometimes that is, that, not always, but sometimes. And then other times we're suffering maybe not because of anything we did, but because somebody else made the wrong choice and we're sort of collateral damage. They brought suffering into our lives. At other times, it's just the result of living in a fallen world. There's a, it's a fallen environment where the, the curse of sin has been operating for a long time and there's just a lot of suffering in our environment. Some of them might say, well, why, why did God create a world like that? Why did God even make us so we, we could have free will if you have all this potential for suffering? That's a good question. The Bible does not answer that explicitly. Now, I think we can infer, we might infer this. We might infer the reason God created the world with free will, moral agents, the way we are, even though there was the potential for suffering, is because God, like us, wants a loving family. He wants children who love him of their own free will. I infer that from the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If that's the most important commandment to God, it seems like it might be the most important thing that he desires, love from a family that chooses freely to love him. David Levy is the author of a book on human robot love, human robot love. He predicts that human robot marriages will be legal by 2050. Adrian Chiak, computing professor at Cincinnati City University in London and director of the Mixed Reality Lab in Singapore, says that is not far-fetched. He believes the greatest technological difficulty is developing the software necessary to build a robot that understands human conversation skillfully enough for the job. Chiak says, quote, if a robot looks like it loves you and you feel that it loves you, then you are essentially going to feel like it's almost human love. Okay? I believe it'll happen. I believe it'll happen. I mean, there was a time when I would, I would have said that could never happen. <laughs> but that's not this time anymore. I mean, anything like that is possible. But even if it does come to pass, I don't believe this, and I, I doubt you do either, that that robot love will be a substitute for human love. It's just all programmed response. And so I bring that up to ask this question. Could God have created a race of robots? Could God have created human beings to be robots so that we only had the freedom to, to choose love? We only had the f freedom to choose obedience but not disobedience? Suppose he could. 
But would it have been a world worth creating? Apparently, to God, it's worth the risk, whatever the risk may be, in the area of suffering, to have created free will beings that we can truly, true, uh, truly and freely choose to love and obey God as his children. Okay, so we're looking at three categories of what we call the will of God, that which God performs. We've got that which God permits. And then this third category, that which God prefers. Now, under the permission of God, there are things that God doesn't want to happen, but they still happen because he has limited himself in order to make room for free will beings like us. Now, here on this category, that which God prefers, there are things that God wants to happen, and they may or may not happen depending upon what we do. Ephesians 6, 6, do the will of God with all of your heart. So God reveals his will to us, and we discern it. Once we understand what God wants, we either do it or we don't. So there's two aspects there. We've got to discern it, and then we decide whether or not to obey it. It's kind of like your Christmas wish list. When it comes Christmas time, you make out your list. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then what do you do with it? Your list. Well, you hand it over to Santa, or, you know, you give it to your spouse, or maybe your kids or your parents. Or what determines whether or not you get what you have on your list? Them, whether they perceive it correctly and are willing to do it. So sometimes it all works out great. You get the vacation or you get the new car, you get the cruise. Sometimes you get the soap on a rope, right? Sometimes you get the Christmas tie that sings jingle bells. It all depends on them and what they're willing to do. Well, likewise, God communicates his desires and whether or not those come to pass depend on other people. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord wants everyone to repent. That's what he wants. It's what he prefers. Does everyone repent? No. So right here, we've obviously got a category of things that God wants to happen, but they don't necessarily happen. Depends on us. And it's in this category that, that this sermon series is going to deal, deal with. That which God prefers and that which God desires. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And once we understand, then we're supposed to do it. You say, all right, Steve, I'm with you on that. I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. How do I know what he wants me to do? That's what I want to, how am I supposed to know? Am I supposed to be single or am I supposed to get married? Who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to have? Take this job, that job? Where am I supposed to live? Am I supposed to live here or should I move? Steve, I've got all these, these questions and all these options. How do I know what the Lord's will is for me? I'm so glad you are asking that question. That's what I'm going to talk about next week. Come back. But remember, the title of this sermon series, A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. This is not mysterious. It's not going to be hard. It's going to be helpful. Specifically, what, the question we want to address next Sunday is, does God have a specific plan for your life? Does he have that special person picked out for you? Does he have a calling for you in a, in a career path? Does he have a place where you should be living? Does he have a ministry that you should be performing? All of this being within his will? Does he have a specific plan for your life? And if so, how do we discern it? How do we understand what the Holy Spirit within us is saying to us? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today? Yes, he is. Okay, how does that work? 
how do we hear that and understand that? But that's what we'll be talking about next week. Our Father in heaven, for today, we simply want to reflect on and thank you for that category of your will, which is what you perform. You decide that it's going to happen, and you make it happen, and nothing can stop it from happening. For therein, God, lies our peace and our joy at being forgiven by you. Having the new birth has happened to us, and you've given us new hearts and the Holy Spirit to help us. And the hope that we have in the future, hope of future resurrection, glorification, eternal life with you, the people that we love and care about. We thank you for your will your, that you perform, and nothing can prevent it from happening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.